everybody. Welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, running solo today. It's the Thursday episode of the show. So now we're getting you through the week. We're going to get you to Friday tomorrow where Dale will be back on with me and we'll pick all the games for this weekend. But before we could do that, we have a lot to talk about as far as news-wise. Now, we talked about Le'Veon Bell uh, yesterday. He's been officially released and... Um, that you know that that's been a thing, and you know I, I'm telling you right now, Steelers fans, he's not coming to he's not coming to Pittsburgh, so stop it. Um, there is there are rumors that he could be heading to the Chiefs, according to J- uh, Jeremy Fowler and several other uh, credited NFL uh, reporters. We'll see if, how that happens. Um, but for the Steelers, there's a lot of good stuff going around. First of all, Ben Roethlisberger in his morning press conference. Uh, said said that uh, on Wednesday said that he's really proud of Juju Smith-Schuster and how he's been celebrating Chase Claypool's early success, saying that he's got he's focusing on the team winning and him and his teammates winning and not on his own stats. A very a very interesting take from Ben Roethlisberger and sort of a, a slight shade, of course, at Antonio Brown with you know with the obvious problems that that he had with the team when Juju Smith-Schuster was blowing up. Um, and this, so this segment is sort of about the Steelers doing all the right things or saying all the right things before this game, because Juju Smith-Schuster, not you, we saw it. Chase Claypool had what? Four touchdowns should have had five touchdowns over the weekend. Juju Smith-Schuster had like what? 28 yards receiving. He didn't. He he didn't pout. He didn't moan. He didn't. He didn't. You you never saw one moment of hesitation from this man's joy for his teammate's success. Heck, he was participating in his touchdown dances. And Ben Roethlisberger pointing that out. To me, it's it's not just Juju doing that. It's Ben having the the wherewithal to point that out in his press conference and be like, he's doing the right thing here because Juju's going to hear that, and. That's going to send a note to all the other Steelers out there that, hey, this is how you need to set the tone for your teammates. When they succeed, even if you're not getting getting the attention, you'll be right there to be, to be right with them. And that is how you impact culture on your team. That is how you stay focused for your team. And that's what the Steelers do. Now, of course, like every organization, there's people that come into it and don't follow that creed, and you work with them or you, you get them out. There. That's what Antonio Brown was, and they made an exception for Antonio Brown because he was the best receiver in football for six straight years. So that makes a lot of sense that they did that. But now they're here, and they're putting it together. Now, again, this is about the Steelers saying the right things. They did more of that with Mike Tom- with what Mike Tomlin was talking about earlier in the week. Because, of course, with this game, this is the first time that Miles Garrett will have played the Steelers since he assaulted Mason Rudolph with a helmet last November. And it might have been December. Either way, you know, you know what game I'm talking about. But when you look at Mike Tomlin... This is the way that he res- he responded when he when he when he when he was asked like you know what's the message for this game now that Garrett's back, Tomlin said there is no message. He said quote my day to day existence of relays that message that you suggested there's a uh, 
existence kind of relays the message that you suggested. There's a lot on the table in reference to this game in terms of stakes. They're a 4-1 team. We're trying to remain undefeated. We're not looking at that low-hanging fruit or some reality TV storylines and so forth. This is a big game here in 2020. The Steelers are focused but here's and that's that's the point that they're worried about they're not worried about what happened last year in a game that doesn't matter anymore they're worried about how can they win this game this year and they know that that uh miles garrett is on fire right now he has six sacks he has three forced fumbles he's been a terror in the in the, in the nfl and again those six sacks that's more than tj watt that says a lot for what for what he's doing right now and um i look at i look at this and i'm thinking man that's the, the this team's headed in the right direction and the, again they're talking about how they need to get ready for him how they need to get a um uh they how they need to get ready for him because he's going to be moving around because olivier vernon hasn't been playing and that they need to be prepared for that because that means either Chikuma Okorafor or Alejandro Villanueva could be taking him on as an edge rusher. Who knows? They might twist Garrett to the inside. It might be a Matt Filer, Marquise Pouncey, or a Kevin Dotson problem. It could also be a Stefan Wisniewski problem because guess what? He's back in practice this week, which is a very good sign for the Steelers and their depth at offensive line. We'll see who gets the start there on Sunday. But again, the Steelers saying all the right things. This, this is what I talk about when I talk about structural inte- integrity. This is what I talk about when I say that they, they know what they're doing. They, this is why I believe in the Steelers you know, being able to figure out answers over other teams. And other teams are like the Browns who say things and do things that show that they're not a little focused. Like Kareem Hunt. Who said this 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 week that the Browns want to win this game for Miles Garrett? And he said this one's this one's for Miles Garrett. This one's for Cleveland. This one's for a lot of things. Talking about how this is what this this is that they want to win this one, you know, and bringing once again bringing up last year. If the Browns really are focused on that. And they come into this game and lose. I, you, y'all know y'all going to hear it from me. Because the Steelers are focused and headed in the right direction. And once again, if the Browns don't get it together, this is their first time that they've met, that these teams have both met while being three games over 500 since 1994. And if the, if the Browns are going to make a statement game, if they can win, they can go to 5-1. and one. They'll be in second place in division if the Ravens beat the Eagles, which means they'll be tied for five and one, and the Ravens have the tiebreaker right now. The Steelers will be four and one, but if they lose, they drop to four and two, which will put them at third in the division. And then I think it'll start the finger point and it'll test the resolve of that organization to see are they have they truly arrived, have they really changed their culture, or have they just won a few games early on? to give them a, a, an advantage of a 4-1 record early in the season. We'll get into more of that matchup with Dale tomorrow. We're going to cut to a quick break here. When we come back, I wrote a Carter's Classroom column. I want to break it down for you all. If you if you read it, if you didn't read it, I want you to get more of my perspective here that I can talk about it right here on the DK Steelers Podcast.
We're back here on the DK Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Let's get to talking about my Carter's Classroom column from earlier on this week. Now, if you if, if you're new to the podcast, if you're if you're still you know figuring out where you fit in, you know, and, and reading all the things for DKPittsburghSports.com, I my first thing that I ever started writing for DKPittsburghSports.com was my uh was my my Carter's Classroom series. And my Carter's Classroom series is simply just a, a series of articles that I always I analyze football, I analyze the the NFL, I analyze X and O's, and I look to find the strengths and weaknesses um, uh, of of the you know of the Steelers and their opponents. And I I wrote this column. I wrote this one. It's it was, it's called tightening up the secondary. Uh, is a very is very much fixable. Or tighten up the pass coverage for the Steelers is very much fixable. Um, you can still read it right now on the website, but um, the whole point of this is that a lot of people were questioning the Steelers after they gave up two passing touchdowns to Carson Wentz, and they gave up several third down conversions and didn't look sharp in coverage. And everyone was wondering, oh, who's doing it wrong? Who did it wrong? Who messed it up? Well, I went through specific points in the game to show this isn't about the whole concepts being wrong. This isn't a red alarm. This is the Steelers secondary getting their chemistry back. Because chemistry, as much as people want to think that, you know, you just play really great one year and you can come back the next year and do the same thing, if it was that easy, then there'd be a lot more defensive chemistry on every team in the NFL, and there's just not. And and the numbers across the league can prove that. But a lot of the chemistry is finding the timing, finding the ways to disguise different coverages and how to protect the weaknesses of your teammates and boost the strengths of, of your teammates at the same time. That's not easy. It takes planning and schematics on the parts of the coaches, the position coaches, and the coordinators. It takes practice for the players on the field. It takes experience. It takes a trial by fire sometimes to learn, okay, we thought we could do that, but we can't. We got to work on this and do this. And that's a lot of what the Steelers were going through in this game against the Eagles. They're still figuring out what they what they do well, and they were also trying to figure out what the Eagles do well. Because don't forget, you know, everyone was talking about how the Steelers receivers were hurt up, and yes, that should give the Steelers an advantage, but it also gave the Steelers a disadvantage because they didn't know what the tendencies were for the team. The Steelers are big on film study. If it's the same, if it's an offense that does that does the same thing for 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 a, for a year or for several weeks, they will key off on something and they'll often read into it and try to take it away. The Eagles didn't really have that because Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward Jr., these weren't guys that, you know, there's a whole lot of tape on about what they're good at. And when I looked at the, at the, at the tape, I saw several points, several plays that showed that the Steelers, the, 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 the schematics are there. They just need to tighten up on a few things. First play I highlighted was a, was a, first, was a, was a first down gotten by, by the Eagles to Travis Fulgham on a short hook route. Now, it looked at first like, Oh man, the Steelers just gave that up, no problem. They just were happy to surrender, you know, twelve yards on a short hook um, because Stephen Nelson played so back off. But again, when you look at how t- when you look at the film and you stu- and you study how the play was designed, you can see Ter- the Terrell Edmonds and, and Stephen Nelson start at the at the play both lined up next to each other at about ten yards off the ball. When the play snaps, Nelson drops back to be the deep man, while Edmonds jumps up to to play the flat. Because his job is to take away the shorter pass. And he was about to jump the hook route and maybe intercept the football. But Greg Ward Jr. jumps in front of him and blocks him to the ground while the ball's in the air to clear a path 
for uh for for the for the ball to get to Fulgham and for Fulgham to get an easy catch and a first down. Now, yes, that should have been offensive pass interference. Yes, that sh- yes, that's something that 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 the steel that the uh, referee should watch out for. But that's also something now that that the Steelers are going to take into their notes and say, okay, well, we try this disguise. This is what we're running up against, and that's another note that they're going to take. As the game went on, you saw several points where the Steelers were just getting beaten man coverage. Now, I'm going to get to Minka Fitzpatrick in a bit because um, anyone who read that column and read what DK wrote after the game knows that he and I are st- see the game a little bit differently. But as I looked throughout the game, there were just several points where Fulgham especially was just beating Steelers cornerbacks on corner routes. And corner routes are some of the hardest things to, to defend in the NFL when you're not looking for them, when you don't know, when you don't know the tendency of your opponent, when you don't know when they go after those corner routes. The corner route is so hard to stop because especially in man coverage, you have to maintain inside leverage. And the whole point of a corner route is that they break and they present a quick target for the quarterback to hit. The quarterback hits them down the field and they get the first down. That's the, that, that's the challenge of a corner route. And I, I present in the Carter's classroom two points that it hurt the Steelers. Uh, one where it beat Nelson and one where it beat Hayden for a touchdown. And part of it is just learning is just learning what opponents like to do. Part of it's also sharpening it up and saying, okay, this is what we're, where we're getting beat. We're going to defend against that. We're going to take this away. We're going to take that away. So I'm not too mad at the schematics of it because you know what hey like those are things that you'll tighten up you'll you know, you'll, you'll see the Steelers like okay we'll position ourselves a little bit closer because we we came out the 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 person was there like on 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 Steven Nelson's play on the corner route he's there you know you know to close in on the guy and if Wentz misses he's gonna make it hard hard for him to uh hard for Fulgham to adjust but Wentz throws a great pass Fulgham makes a catch and Nelson brings him down right on time now Hayden's a different story he just got he got flat out beat on his corner route um, looked like he was just—he he just didn't see it coming, and he established a little too much inside leverage, and and just lost the route. But when you look throughout the game, you see a lot of times it's just the Eagles were just beating man coverage, just sneaking it under underneath a cornerback or a, a tight zone. But then DK talked to, talked to me about this at, right after the game, saying that Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, he want he want he want you know we, we we go over like strategy and we go over you know the film and I'm talking to him about what I'm seeing and DK was like well why doesn't he have any interception why doesn't he have a pass defense I'm like because teams are avoiding him and when you look at the touchdown to Fulgham in the fourth quarter a lot of people immediately said because Minka Fitzpatrick was the first person to touch him they said oh well that's that's Minka he was supposed to be there he was late he was just standing around well no. Again, you look at the schematics of the play. You look at what everyone was doing. The Steelers rushed five, left five in, in man coverage, and then put Minka in a zone in the middle of the field. Now, Minka's job is to take away two things. One, well, this is a double crossing pattern, so they had d- double crossing concepts. So they had Zach Ertz, who's the team's primary target most most seasons, and he has he's, has been as a Pro Bowl tight end for them. He was going to the back of the end zone, and... Fitzpatrick's helping Edmonds take him out of the equation. But what happened was Fulgham, who was Steven Nelson's man-in-man coverage, was left wide open. Nelson never went to him. It was just a, a just a quick-blown coverage. Wentz saw it, took advantage of it, and he threw it to him. That's not on Minka. That's on Nelson. And that's something that Nelson's probably like, okay, well, I got mixed up in who I was covering on this situation. We'll address this and move forward. 
it's simple tightening things up like that that, they, that can get the Steelers deep secondary back to creating more turnovers. Also, by the way, their six interceptions are the uh, third most in the NFL, I believe. Um, they, they, they still are producing that. But I'm just here to tell you, don't panic on the secondary. Read my Carter's Classroom column if you want to see more. I even throw in why the Indianapolis Colts pick six is a perfect reference of what happens if Steven Nelson probably does his job right on that Fulgham touchdown. It might lead to a pick six. But check that out, y'all. I'm going, um, you know, I, I got I got, all, I got all the Carter's Classroom stuff that comes out every Tuesday to, to show you guys what's going on with the X's and O's. You can read that right on DKPittsburghSports.com. We're going to take one more quick break. When we come back. I got started. What got me started? Find out when don't get me started happens here on the final segment of the Steelers pod, DK Steelers podcast. Welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm Chris Carter, and you're listening to Don't Get Me Started. Don't get me started about people not understanding how coordinators work. It's Don't Get Me Started, the rant segment here on the DK Steelers podcast. This goes back to talking about what happened in that Steelers-Eagles game. Because I, I tweeted out at one point, I was like, hey, Randy Feekner, good job in this game. You're making the right calls. And then I, I called it, I was like, that jet sweep to Ray-Ray McLeod that went for like 64 yards or whatever, that was a clever call on his part. And I brought that up, and a lot of people agree. Like, yeah, you know what? He is calling a good game. I, maybe we should have given him more of a break when he was working with a fourth-string undrafted rookie quarterback named Devlin Duck Hodges. But when I looked at that, when, when I looked at that play, a lot of people, I saw a lot of responses saying that was Matt Canada. That wasn't Randy Feaster. That's something that Matt Canada does with the motion and the jet sweep, and that he did it pit. And I'm like, okay. First of all. Yes, that's the wrinkle that we talked about would be part of the offense this year. But you need to understand how coordinators operate. Coordinators come to camp and come to teams with their own playbooks that they design, yes. But when they work with different people that are under them, the position coaches, quarterback coach, running back coach, offensive line coach, wide receiver coach, tight ends coach, all those guys, they work with their position players and they help draw up plays or help identify, hey, these are the strengths of my guys. These are what the things that they're com- comfortable with. And when the coordinator says, oh, can take that and say, okay, this is what we got, that's what he does. Now, is, uh, is the jet sweep something that Matt Canada brought into prominence with Pitt? Yep. Back in 2016, they were killing people with that. James Conner, Quadri Henderson... Nathan Peterman, I mean, they used to just get people with it all the time. It, it was wonderful to watch. It's a it's big reason why they beat Clemson. But to think that just because Matt Canada added the wrinkle to the offense means that Randy Feekner shouldn't get credited for calling those plays is asinine. That's not how football works. Nobody's saying that Randy Feekner is the best X and O's guy of all time. 
but that's a good play call that was in your playbook at the right time that was executed well. And that's often how it works, too. I was talking to uh, Coach Dave Borbley. He's the offensive line coach for Pitt. And he was talking about when he was talking to Mark Whipple during the NC State game where they lost by a single point and they had a drive where they got stuffed in, in at the goal line. And Borbley was telling us that, hey, you know, I I thought that, you know, there was a play in my head. You know, Mark, Mark Whipple came to me and said there was a play that he wanted to call and he asked me if my he thinks my guys would be good with it. And I told him yes. And then he said, but he said, he said, in the back of my head, I realized that there would be a better play call that my my line would be better at blocking in this situation, but I didn't say it not because I thought, hey, let's just get it the play out there and see what happens. And then he said I, he immediately regretted it when he saw the result. But that's often what happens. Now, granted, it's not the same way in every system. Systems work differently all over the place. But what what does happen is that there's input from all those position coaches into the coordinator. That's why a coordinator is called a coordinator. They don't just they don't just tell everyone what to do. They take all the information, all the all the tidbits, all the positives, all the negatives, the, everything that everyone trusts uh, the, within their groups. He takes those position coaches and what those guys have and then puts it all into the playbook and then comes up every week with the game plan. Okay, these are the plays we're going to call. These are the plays we aren't going to call. These are the plays we're going to focus on in different situations and the advantages we'll try to get in this game. Doesn't mean that they're the guru that drew up every single X and O in their playbook. It just means they're the ones putting the pieces together to make the calls in the game. And that's what Randy Feekner did. So yes, Matt Canada's adding to the offense and wrinkles that we haven't seen, and it's fun to watch. But don't for one second think that that means that Randy Feekner shouldn't get credit for calling those plays at the right time to get the right results. And we'll see if that those results continue this Sunday when they take on the Cleveland Browns. But y'all got me started. And this is been Don't Get Me Started here on the DK Steelers podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Appreciate all the people who are following us here. Check all our work out at DKPittsburghSports.com. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are hosted. If you have subscribed, please leave us a five-star review with a positive comment. Doing so really helps get the word out about the show. Um, and, uh, also don't forget, we have all the other great content on this, on this, on this podcast network. We've got the DK's daily shot where he's breaking down a sports issue every single day. We've got the DK pirates podcast with Noah and Alex. We've got the, uh, Noah's no doubters where he does gambling. Noah's down memory lane where he does, um, uh, where, where he where he talks to former Pittsburgh athletes. We've also now got the, the DK H2P podcast where I break down Pitt every weekend. All that and more right here on the DK Podcast Network. I'm Chris Carter signing off. Be back in your ears tomorrow with Dale Lolly giving you all our picks for the weekend.